you guys could um, stay standing as we go into a time of prayer this morning. Um, how many of you have ever not felt God's presence and maybe you even felt that those around you did, but, but you didn't feel him? Um, sometimes if the wind blows, you, you feel it, but ha has the wind ever blown and other people around you have felt it and you have not? Probably not. And I don't know why sometimes we don't feel uh, the presence and love of God because it's always here. But I do think that sometimes our hearts get hard. I believe that sometimes we get so distracted by things going on around us. We become so consumed with ourselves and the affairs of our own life. Come so fixated on our illness, our poverty, our pain, our divorce, our relationships that we become numb to the very presence of God. God did not intend us to be numb to his presence. He intended for us to be in, to know his presence. But each and every one of us will go through times where we don't feel it, where we don't see it, where we maybe don't even know it, but we've got to hold on to the foundation of our faith that he's there, that he's with us, and that he promised us. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us, that nothing could separate us from the love of God, that nothing could take us out of the hands of Jesus Christ. And so if you don't feel the presence or the love of God this morning, and you'd say, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel it anymore. I've been there. I get it. Don't, don't worry about that, but instead, push in. Push in even when you don't feel it. Push in even if you don't feel his power. Press in even if you don't know where he is. Just keep pressing in because God has so much in store for you through him and we don't have to feel it in order to know that he's here, that he's moving, that he's doing something. And God just simply asked us to submit, to obey, to follow, to trust in him. Whether we feel him or we don't feel him, whether we're at peace or we're not at peace, whether we're in pain or whether we are in comfort, God is here. And so press in and do not miss his touch. Do not miss his voice. So you this morning, just, just open up your palms to God as a sign of surrender, as a sign of receiving it. Lord, we, we may not feel you this morning. Maybe some of us do, and awesome. But God, there, there are people here that don't feel you. There are people here, God, who have um, thought that maybe there's no purpose because they don't sense your peace. They don't sense your love. They don't know your hope. Lord Jesus, would you please restore to me, to them, to us? Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? God, we just speak out to any distraction. God, we, we speak to any, um, the word that you keep bringing to mind is chaos. Any chaos happening in someone's heart this morning, Lord, would you cease the chaos and bring peace. God, any spirit of distraction, any spirit of um, shame that you're trying, that, that the enemy is trying to place on someone right now, God, I pray that that would be broken and removed and they would be freed from that in the name of Jesus. God, for those of us um, maybe suffering from addiction, whether it's to 
pornography or drugs or alcohol or, or things that maybe seemingly are not bad, but things that we found ourselves in bondage to, would you free us up, God? Would you deliver us so we can focus more on you? God, whatever place in our heart, whatever place in our mind, whatever place in our home that we have given over to something else but you, we ask you to cast those things out and ask you to fill their place. God, our heart is yours. It is to be filled by every ounce of you within us. God, let us open up every closet, every room, every door, and let you in. God, we invite you in. Jesus, we praise your name today. We praise your name. As that song we declare, Jesus Christ, we magnify your life, your death, your resurrection. Holy Spirit, your presence is here, but may we make room for it. God, as we're about to preach your word, I pray that we would receive it with joy. God, as we pray for one another today, um, would you hear our prayer and respond with power, and may we today leave this place in peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Kim. Kim was our worship dancer today. She didn't have a voice. And so she, she had Maggie lead beautifully all these songs. And so pray for Kim's voice. Pray for, uh, pray for allergy voices and sickness voices today. Um, my wife was so annoyed with me last night um, because I had probably the third worst allergy attack I've ever had. Um, and she was like, stop it. Oh, you're and then this morning, um, the Lord smite her uh, and took her voice away from her as a result. Um, so don't touch the Lord's anointed. I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. So uh, allergies are rough, even though it's basically winter outside. Uh, we're glad you're here again. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we're going to be starting a series. I don't think I've ever, I've never preached a series on Samson. I don't know if I've ever heard of or heard a series on Samson. Usually, we just focus on uh, the book of Judges as a whole. And so, if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to the book of Judges, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges is where we will be. And we're going to be looking at the whole big idea with this series on Samson is how God can use you. God can use even you despite your extraness, despite your drama, despite your shortcomings, despite your past, despite your failures. God can even use you to bring about his plans for the world. And we're going to discover that if God can use a weirdo like Samson, he can certainly use anybody. Now, you may, when people think of Samson, they usually think of long hair, Delilah, and then him breaking down uh, the temple of Dagon of the Philistines. But there's a lot more to this train wreck of a man's life uh, than what we typically look at. And so when you think of Samson, He's really the anti-heroes of all anti-heroes. He is the anti-hero of all anti-heroes in the Bible. Samson is really, for a lack of a better word, he is kind of the Deadpool of the Bible. Samson is um, a man that's made horrible choices. 
He has an incredibly sinful lifestyle. He has a disfigured body. He has an enormous kill count. And despite all of this stuff, he still beats the bad guys, even though he's kind of the bad guy. Samson is a wild man. But Samson is a prime example of how the Bible can be incredibly descriptive but it's not always prescriptive. And so don't open up the book of Judges and think, I should live like this. Um, In fact, when you look through the book of Judges, most of the characters that we meet in Judges, you should do exactly the opposite of their life. And so their life is an example of how not to live. And even in our mess, God can still use us. So what Judges does, this book of Judges, it shows us how completely sinful we are. It shows us the danger of fully integrating into society. It shows us how much our society struggles when we don't follow God's ways. It shows us that the further away we get from God, the further away our culture falls into depravity. And it shows us how Israel would ultimately need a godly king. And it shows all of us how much we each need a savior. And so in Judges, this book takes place immediately after Joshua leads the nation of Israel into the land God promised to them. So Joshua succeeds Moses as the ruler of Israel. He leads Israel into the promised land and immediately Joshua begins. And the nation of Israel, once Joshua led them in, they were called to, they were commanded to dispossess all of the nations of the land that they were to inhabit. The Philistines, the Hittites, the Canaanites, all of these peoples they were to dispossess, but they compromised. They failed to drive them out. They ended up sharing the land with the very people that they were supposed to eradicate from the land. And this leads to all sorts of sin. It leads to all sorts of oppression. And what we're going to do is we're going to read Judges chapter 2 verses uh, 11 through 19, because this is really a great summary of what's going on in the story of Samson. It's a great summary of what's going on in the book of Judges as we prepare for the next three weeks of this series. And so you can read it on the screen uh, with me or online or in your Bible. So it's Judges 2 11 says this, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. The Israelites went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And the Israelites provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and God gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever Israel marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, that's what took place. And they were in terrible distress. So verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet Israel did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. 
Israel soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for Israel, the Lord was with the judge, and the judge saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of that judge. People like Gideon, Deborah. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers were, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. How many of you have got some stubborn ways you need to drop this morning? You drop your stubborn ways. Israel was unwilling to drop their manner of life. They were unwilling to drop their, their stubborn ways. And so this period, this cycle of the judges, it went on for around 300 years, uh, depending on the date of the Exodus. It goes on for centuries. It goes on from the time that Israel enters the land until God raises up a prophet by the name of Samuel and raises up a king by the name of Saul. So here's the cycle. Israel sins. God allows them to be judged by their enemies. Israel cries out for help. God raises up a judge to rescue and rule over them. The judge and his people fall back into sin, worse than the generation before, and repeat, it happens all over again. And so the last judge to judge Israel before the last official judge and the first unofficial prophet of Samuel, the last one in Judges, is this man named Samson. And Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the Philistine oppression. The Philistines were the same people who would, um, about 100 years, 50 to 100 years later, would, would have a champion named Goliath that David would defeat, the same Philistines. And so let's look at Judges chapter 13. That's what we're going to read today. We'll go through the entire chapter. We'll read some of it. We'll summarize some of it. And as we go, I want to point out some things we can learn about the context of this scripture and how strange the story of Samson actually is. And so Judges 13 verse 1, it says this, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So for 40 years, the Philistines would rule over and oppress the Israelites. This cycle of 40 years is common for the oppression of an enemy. In verse 2, it says, There was a certain man of Zorah. He was from the tribe of Dan to the north, and his name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. This is an odd occurrence where a husband's name is mentioned and in a story about a birth like this, the wife's name is not mentioned. I actually can't think of a scenario quite like this in Scripture. So we're going to refer to her as Manoah's wife. But infertility is an incredibly common theme throughout both the Old and the New Testament, showing that God can bring hope and give life in situations that seem utterly barren. And so in Judges 13, verse 3, it says this, The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, that's Manoah's wife. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to the woman, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for what I already know. But 
you shall conceive and bear a son. Another very common theme in scripture. Abraham is promised his son Isaac. Here, Manoah and Manoah's wife are promised Samson. Hannah would be promised the coming prophet and final judge, Samuel. Elisha would promise to a Shunammite woman a son. John the Baptist would be promised to his mother Elizabeth and his father Zechariah. And then finally, Jesus, a son, was promised to Mary and to Joseph. And so the angel of the Lord promises a son to Manoah's wife. And just let's notice first and right off the bat is that this is the angel of the Lord. This is almost certainly, and we will see, is certainly the same angel that appears with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It is the same angel of the Lord that shuts the mouth of the lions 500 years later in the lion's den where Daniel was spared. And so in verse 4 it says, the angel speaking to Manoah's wife, he says, therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, notice who these commandments are for. These commandments are for Manoah's wife herself because she's about to conceive a child. So don't drink alcohol, only eat clean food because you will bear a son. But verse 5, the second part says about this son, no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. We now have commands for the boy. Mom, this son of yours, it's important that he do not cut his hair because he is a Nazarite. And he will be a Nazarite from birth. And the reason he will be a Nazarite is because God will use this to save Israel your people from the Israelites. And so Manoah's wife runs and tells her husband. It says in verse 6, the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. This was apparently verbal, oral tradition and history that had been passed down, people that had encountered the angel of God. And the reason I'm not just summarizing this verse is because I've never seen a verse like this in the Bible. As she describes him, it says, the man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. It's like, he was real awesome. This is the angel of God. And this is what the angel said to me. Notice something here. Manoah's wife is going to leave something out and add something in. We don't know why, but it's peculiar. This is what the angel said, Manoah's wife, to her husband. Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine, drink no strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. What does she leave out? She leaves out the reason. She does not say because he's going to deliver us from the Philistines. I would say it's implied, but this is just odd. I want you to wrestle with the scriptures. I want you to seek the spirit of God. What are you trying to say? Because every other recounting in scripture almost always word for word recounts. Here she leaves out this important part, but she adds something too. She adds from the womb to the day of his death. The angel didn't say that. 
And so Manoah's wife says, we're going to have a baby. We have no babies. The baby's going to be a boy. He's going to be a Nazarite. I need to abstain from alcohol and unclean food. And he's going to be a Nazarite his entire life. And Manoah's like, I really wish I would have been in on this encounter. And so Manoah goes to the Lord in prayer. And this is what he asks of the Lord. He says this, God, teach us what we are to do with the child. That's a good prayer, right? God, what am I supposed to do with this kid? What am I supposed to do with my son? He seems pretty special, God. So what am I supposed to do with him? Please come and tell me. And so the angel of the Lord returns again to his wife. Manoah is the one who asks to have the encounter, but the angel of the Lord goes back to his wife. Why? We don't know. And so Manoah's wife goes and gets her husband and says, the angel is back. And this is what Manoah says to the angel. Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Marriage advice, don't ever refer to your wife as this woman. Whoever writes judges really doesn't want us to know this lady's name. So, are you the one that appeared to this random woman who happens to be my wife? And look at what the angel says. This is, if you know the Bible, this is good stuff. He says, I am. Interesting. That's very similar to the name of God, Yahweh, the I am the self-existent forever one. I am the one who is and is to come. I am the one, the literal translation of that name of God, Yahweh, is the one who is becoming. I am. When Moses spoke to the Lord from a burning bush and he said, Who shall I say sent me? And God said to him, Tell them that I am sent you. And Jesus later on, he would be like, Hey, that's me. Before Abraham was, I am. They're not talking to an angel. They are talking to the angel of the Lord, meaning the word of God, the message from God. They are talking to, it is explicitly clear, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, God the Son, who has existed forever and always with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as the one triune, eternal, self-existent God of all creation. Amen. How is he to live? Is what Manoah says. He says, when your words come true, he has faith. When they come true, not if, but when. When they come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? How is my boy to live? What will be his mission? This is one of the most important questions you can ask yourself. What is my mission? But an even equally important question is, what is the mission of my child so that I can raise them up to go in the ways that you have for them, Lord? Amen. So verse 13. The angel of the Lord says to Manoah. Now, keep in mind, the angel is not going to answer this man's questions. This makes it super clear. It is Jesus, by the way. Because when people ask Jesus questions in the Bible, he, he actually like never answers the actual question. And so the guy says this. He says, what is the mission of my son and what is the manner of his life? And so the angel of the Lord says to Manoah, if all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. 
She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. If I was Manoah, I'd be like, I wasn't asking about my wife. I was asking about our son. What, what's the manner of his life? What's his mission? And I don't know why the angel of the Lord gives Manoah this answer. I have a suspicion, and I think that this is the only thing that Manoah would have any say in. Manoah could help his wife to make sure that she abstained from those things so that she could rear this child for them. But we're about to learn that Manoah has absolutely no control over the manner of life of Samson. Nobody can control this wild man of Samson. And so he doesn't even tell him what his manner of life here should be. In fact, the angel of the Lord doesn't even utter the word Nazarite because Nazarite was the manner of life he was to live. And the mission of his life as a result of being a Nazarite was to save Israel from the Philistines, but the angel says nothing. Did he off camera? Maybe. You see, you and I, we might not know our children's purpose, but we know that we have to be faithful in raising them to love the Lord so that they, when God speaks to them, they'll know to follow their purpose and they'll know to follow the manner of life that God has ordained for them, not the one we have ordained for them. So Manoah does what every good Middle Eastern person in ancient history and today does, offers a meal to the guest. Uh, excuse me, angel of the Lord, can we make you dinner? The angel says, no, don't cook me dinner, but can you do this instead? Will you offer up a sacrifice to the Lord instead? Well, that's a weird thing to say. And so verse 18, Manoah asks the angel of the Lord what his name is. Okay, well, if I can't feed you a meal and we're going to offer up an offering to the Lord, what's your name? He's catching on, if you, if you haven't caught on. What's your name? Why do you ask my name? And, and then this is how this would translate. It's too wonderful. My name is too wonderful. It's, it's too good. My name is too great. Oh, it's because it's the name above every name. Amen. That's because... At the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's talking to God. My name's too wonderful. Manoah, whether he gets it or not, yet we don't know. And so he, he makes this offering to the Lord, and we assume that the Lord, the angel of the Lord, is just like hanging out watching. And it says that as the fire goes up from the offering, that as the fire is going up, so too does the angel of the Lord is like, goes up in the fire too. And Manoah and his wife are like, we just saw God. Usually when people see God, they die. We're going to die. But wait, he told us we'd have a baby. We've at least got nine more months. <laughs> but she does at least. They recognize they see God. And so in the final verses of chapter 13, it says, 
the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. Now, I would love to do like, let me tell you about the name Samson and its beautiful spiritual meaning and how wonderful it means. It means God will save his people from his Philistines with long hair. But it it just means like kid of the sun. Oh, the sun. No, 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 the the sun. That thing we haven't seen in like six months. The sun. (laughs) It's not some spiritual name. We don't know why Manoah and his wife named Samson child of the sun. It may have been summer when he was, we don't know. He may have had a nice tan, probably looked good with his nice long hair. He's just a kid of the sun. You see, verse 20, it says uh, in 24, Samson, the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. Grew and he blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir Samson and says where that happened. That's an interesting statement. The spirit of the Lord began to stir. You see, before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, before Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within every believer within the church, the Holy Spirit only came on certain people. The Holy Spirit only stirred certain people for certain assignments, for certain purposes. One of the words that's used to describe the spirit coming on people in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit clothed them. What's that you're wearing? This is the Holy Spirit. Clothed them. But Samson, it actually says, I think it's four times, three or four times, the Holy Spirit didn't clothe Samson. The Holy Spirit didn't come upon Samson. The Holy Spirit didn't overshadow Samson like he does later with Mary. But the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. The Holy Spirit rushes upon Samson and he does this to empower him to fulfill his life's mission in the manner in which he was to live his life, defeating the Philistines. That's our introduction to this man, Samson. Next week, we'll talk about his crazy wedding. The week after that, we'll talk about his really bad choice in women. And the week after that, we'll talk about his final act of heroism. The guy's a mess. But there's some things we can learn from the mess. There's some things that we can draw out from the life of Samson. Not just like pull out things and try to make the verses work, but there's some things we can really learn here. And there's just basically four things I want to show you that we can learn and move forward from with even this introduction here to Samson. So if you're taking notes, do so. We've got some slides that'll show you what these things are. Number one, just as Samson was created by God, Just as God foreknew Samson, God foretold the birth of Samson. Just like Samson, you and I, God foreknew us. God knew you before the foundations of the earth. God created you. God created you in his image, in his likeness. God created you to image him in this world. God created you for a purpose. He formed your inward parts. Psalms 139. God knit you together in your mom's womb. 
He says of you that you by God have been fearfully and wonderfully made and all of the days of your life were written in God's book before any single one of them came to be. You are not an accident. You're just not. You're not an accident. God loves you, knows you, cares for you, intricately created you. And you may come from a reckless family. You may come from a mess. Your parents may have left you, abandoned you, died on you, given you away. That doesn't make a difference. God chose you. God loves you. God's your father. If your father wasn't the father he was supposed to be, God was the father that you ultimately are supposed to have. God loves you, cares for you, embraces you, sees you, knows your pain, your suffering, your hurt. God wants to enter into relationship with you. He just knows you. God knows you. Does he know I'm suffering? He knows and he suffers with you. He knows and died for that suffering. He knows and will one day relieve that suffering for all eternity. God knows you. God knows you. There's no such thing as an accidental pregnancy. There's not. There's not. Whenever someone who is not married comes and tells me, we're having a baby, it's not my job to say, before you were married. It's my job to say, any news of a baby is good news. Congratulations on your pregnancy. Congratulations on bringing a life into the world. And we want to do whatever we can to support it. Kids aren't accidents ever. Number two, just as Samson was created with a mission to save Israel from the Philistines, so too are we. Manoah wanted to know his son's mission. He was like, he's special. I want to know his mission. Samson was special. <laughs> but so are you and I. Each and every one of you have been created for a purpose. Each and every one of you has been created with a mission. And yes, you should be asking God, what's my son's, what's my daughter's mission? That's an important question, but that's not the question I want you to ask today. I want you to ask the question, what's my mission? Amen. What's your mission? Why are you here? Why do you exist? What's your purpose? What was Samson's purpose? No, we're not talking about Samson. We're talking about you. What's your mission? What has God created you specifically to do? Because in Jesus Christ, as Christians, Ephesians 2 says, you and I are God's workmanship. Amen. You and I were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before what? Everything that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created you with a purpose 
God has created you for specific good works. God has given you a mission. God has given his church a mission that you've been commissioned to be a part of. Now, I don't know what your mission is. I don't know what your specific purpose is. But I do know it's my job as your pastor to equip you for the work of your ministry. I don't know what your ministry is. But it's my job to equip you. I do know, though, that there is a mission for the church as a whole, and the mission for the church as a whole, Jesus gave to the church, and it's just simply go make disciples of all nations. Baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach people to obey all I've commanded you. And don't worry, church, Jesus says, I'll be with you until I return. We are to give our lives to that mission, just as Jesus gave his life for his church, and that was love. He's commissioned us to take part in making disciples of all nations. And like I said, I don't know what your specific part of that mission is. I don't know what your specific purpose that you are to do. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that if you devote yourself to the mission of Jesus, Jesus will reveal to you your specific mission and purpose to push that mission forward. And so while you're waiting to find out what it is you want to be when you grow up, do something while you're growing up. And while you're doing something while you're growing up, you'll find what you do and what you want to do when you grow up. And then when you grow up, you want to do something else anyways. You're, you're not like ordained to stay at one job for your entire life. The baby boomers are like, whoa, that's what we did. I know it's not like that anymore. It's interesting. Um, but what we have been ordained to do is to fulfill our role as a member of the body of Christ. Everybody's got a mission. Some of you here are encouragers. You encourage the body of Christ. Some of you here are prophets. You prophetically speak to bring forth the word of God in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. Some of you here are intercessors. You pray for people night and day. Some of you here, you have been gifted and skilled in business and in finance, and God has actually blessed you with wealth, and God has purposed you and placed you in organizations and churches and missionaries' lives to be able to support the work of that ministry. Every one of you has a purpose each and every one, live it out because if you don't, you'll be miserable. Number three, manner of life. Samson was foreknown by God. He had a mission from God, but he also had a manner of life that he was supposed to live. The manner of life that Samson was supposed to live was the manner of a Nazarite. You may have noticed I skipped over what a Nazarite was before on purpose to get to it now. What the heck is a Nazarite? I don't know any Nazarites. I went to the church of a Nazarene once. Am I a Nazarite now? No, you're probably not. A Nazarite was a temporary, voluntary vow that an Israelite could make to God. It was to be something that you alone chose to do. No one could make you do it. And it would be something that you alone would do temporarily. 
This was something you would do similar to fasting, to spend a period of time devoting yourself to honor and glorify God. Well, what did Nazarites do? Three things. Nazarites avoided alcohol, haircuts, and touching dead people. That's what they avoided. Devote yourself to the Lord as a Nazarite. Don't get a haircut. Don't drink alcohol. And don't touch anything dead. How many of you are like, I'm good on two out of three here? Maybe like, like uh, one out of three, anybody? Maybe three out of three, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching dead people. Um, this is what a Nazarite was. But Nazarite, in this term, Samson was different. Samson was one of two and the first of two people in all of history that was actually called by God to be a Nazarite his entire life. Not just for a season. It was Samson and anybody else know who? John the Baptist. Yeah, it was John the Baptist. He, he added some extra things. He's like, and Nazarite 2.0, wear um, camel skin and eat honey. Okay, Samson. Okay, John the Baptist. Okay. Here's what I want you to know. Being a Nazarite, the manner of life, his devotion to it would be directly tied to his mission. Because we will learn that the moment Samson abandoned the Nazarite vow completely, God's strength left him. We're going to learn next week that Samson did drink alcohol. We're going to learn next week that Samson did touch dead things and he made a lot of dead things as well. But it wasn't until he abandoned all three with his first big boy haircut that the strength of God left him. And I can say with 99.9999999% certainty that God has not called any of you to be a Nazarite for life. Maybe Caleb Oakleberry. <laughs> he's, 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 make, he's getting close, but... But here's what I know. I do know that each of us do have a manner of life that we are to live. And I was like, Lord, how can I describe the manner of life that we as Christians are to live? And I can't read the whole Old Testament, but I can point out three verses. Here's the manner of life you and I have been called to live. Number one, from John 14, follow the commands of Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Number two and three from Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Next, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love. Then as 1 Peter writes, chapter 1, to be holy in all of our conduct. To be holy as God is holy. You see, like Samson, our manner of life is directly tied to our mission and purpose as well. Because if we do not live in the manner of life we have been called, we will not be effective in accomplishing our mission. If we do not live out the manner of life that we were called to live out, we may miss out on our mission altogether. 
And even if not, we will miss out on all the blessings, protection, and joy that come with living in the manner of life that we were called to. And even if we don't live out the manner of life we were called to, God will still accomplish his purposes. Here is something I'm concerned about in Christianity. I'm concerned that sometimes we give off this message that if we don't do it, God won't act. God does what God's going to do. God's going to accomplish his purposes whether we are used in those or not. And so if we do not live in a manner worthy of our calling, God will still accomplish the mission. He may even still use us to do it. But here's the deal. Samson did not live in a manner that was worthy of his calling. And even though he would see his mission accomplished, it would be the last thing he ever saw. He was miserable. I'd rather fulfill the mission and purpose for my life while living the manner of life I've been called to and experience joy instead of misery. So you can be a part of God's purpose or you can be apart from it. Either way, God accomplishes his purpose. Sometimes with you, despite your stupidity like Samson, and sometimes without you. I just know I don't want to miss out. Here's the last thing we can learn from this. So Samson was foreknown by and created by God. Samson had a mission and a purpose from God. Samson had a manner of life that he was to live. And here's the fourth. None of this was possible without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Living this manner of life could not, would not be possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, not living this manner of life would remove the Holy Spirit. And it did. So like Samson, you and I desperately, desperately, desperately are in need of the Holy Spirit. Only with the Holy Spirit can we accomplish the mission given. Only with the Holy Spirit can we live the manner of life that we've been called to. But we have an advantage on Samson. The Holy Spirit does not need to rush on us. The Holy Spirit does not need to clothe us. The Holy Spirit does not need to come upon us. The Holy Spirit does not need to overshadow us as Christians. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been saved by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you've received his grace through faith, you don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit to come because he's already here. He dwells within you. Don't you know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? I, you, we as Christians, we don't have temporary assignment access to the Holy Spirit. You and I have 24-7 access to the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. 
So sometimes we, we sing these songs and we say these prayers like, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. He's already here. I get it. I know why we say it, but it, it's, it's, it's actually bad theology. He's already here. Maybe what we could do is say, Holy Spirit, make yourself known in this place. Holy Spirit, would you manifest your presence so, so that we can be empowered to do what we've been called? The problem is not that the Holy Spirit isn't here. The problem is that we aren't receptive to him being here or doing what he wants to do. So open up the door and let him do what he's going to do. See, the Spirit lives in us now. And so what you and I need to do is we need to honor the Holy Spirit. And we need to make our own heart and our own church and our own home a place where the Holy Spirit does dwell, because he does, but where he's welcome to do whatever he pleases and where we are open to him leading us wherever he takes us. So if I could have you dim our house lights, and I have one final slide that just kind of wraps up these things from this particular book. Conclusion, God knows you. God knows you, and he created you. He knows you, and he created you. You are wanted and loved and needed by God. Well, he doesn't need you, but you, you need him. I should flip that around. You, God doesn't need you, but you need him. There is not one person here that is better than somebody else. There is not one person here that is less than someone else. We are all created in the image of God, desperately in need of the grace of God. The only thing that separates Christians from those who are not Christians is that Christians have received the grace of God by faith and made Jesus the Lord of their life. God wants relationship with you. Two, God gave you a purpose and a mission. You're created by him. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a mission. And three, he has a manner of life that he expects us to live. And the manner of life that God expects us to live is directly tied into this mission. And finally, God equips and empowers us by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God that we desperately, desperately need. If you could put your phones away if you, you have them out. I know you were using them to take notes, and so you can put those away. And if you could just limit moving around for a sec. I, I don't want you to miss out on something today, this week, through this series. We're going to close our time up today with a song of praise. And as we praise and worship, uh, myself along with some of our pastors will be up front. We would love to pray for you today. But for the next uh, few months, actually, the next few months, really starting today, um, as your pastor, I'm going to be really pushing you forward in our mission and vision as a church. Usually summertime is a time where like, eh, fall is when, when things really start moving. But this summer, our church is going to grow, Okay. We want to invite you to be a part of what's going to happen over the next couple months in this summer. 
And we're going to lead you in some things, some exciting things, a mission and vision for our church that you can uniquely be a part of with some of your unique giftings and skills and purposes and missions. You can discover how you can be a part of what God is doing. And what I hope you find more than anything is God's unique calling for your life. And for the next three weeks, I'll, I'll lay this out in front of you now so it's no surprise. Next three weeks, I will be here each and every weekend talking about our mission, vision, plans, purpose as a church going forward. But I'm not going to be speaking the message on Samson. We've got three very capable speakers who are going to lead you in that. I want to focus this next couple of weeks getting you prepared for what God's going to be doing through you. Um, next week, we have a, a, one of my best friends in the world and family member and somebody I'm so proud of. Um, Spencer Ivanko is going to be bringing our word um, from Judges. And then week after that, um, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't think he's a Nazarite, but Tim Warnock, he, he's going to be sharing as well. And then finally, maybe she's a Nazarite, Ladina Doherty, she'll wrap up this series. Um, but come, make sure you're here the next three weeks. I'll be here with you. I'm going to be sharing some things we're going to be doing as a church. You need to be preparing your heart, preparing your mind. See what God would have you do. And this, this theme that we're going to be jumping into the second the series is over, and I mentioned it last week, is open doors. God is opening doors for us, and we need to move through them. We're going to present what those open doors are. How can you move through the open doors God has for you in your life? And what doors do you need to shut so that you can go through what God has opened? So prepare your heart for that. Here's what I want to ask you to do to prepare your heart. None of us here, like I said, have been called to be Nazarites for life. Not sure if I've really heard of a, a Christian taking a, a real Nazarite vow. It's not something under the grace of God we need to do. But the Bible does call us to go through seasons of fasting. To take on a Nazarite vow was like fasting. And I want to ask you to join me and join together in um, very intentionally fasting over these next four weeks. Over these next four weeks, um, up through Mother's Day, if you could commit to fasting, Pastor, what's fasting? It is abstaining from something that is painful to abstain from. It is abstaining from something to remind you that you depend on the Lord and not on anything else. And every time that that alarm goes off in your body that says, I'm really craving, that's just your signal saying, time to pray. And you push back into God and you fill the space with God that would have been filled with donuts or whatever it may be. So pastor, tell us what to fast from. No. But if it doesn't hurt, it's not fasting. I can't stand up here and say, for the next four weeks, church, I'm fasting from Chinese food. Because I really don't like Chinese food. That wouldn't be fasting. That'd just be like every other day. I'm fasting from watching soap operas for the next four weeks. That wouldn't be fasting for me. Maybe for you. What is it that God may call you to fast from? I'll give you some examples if you really have a hard time knowing. I'm not encouraging you to fast from eating for four weeks. <laughs> I'm not encouraging you to fast from drinking water for the next four weeks. In fact, do not do that. But maybe God's calling you to fast from video games. 
Maybe God's calling you to fast from social media. Maybe God's calling you to fast from alcohol. Maybe God's calling you to fast from sugar, from soda, from whatever. I don't know. I don't know what your thing is. But would you make some space? Would you make some space in your life for God to move by fasting from something these next four weeks? Fast from something these next four weeks. And I believe as you do that, you will be allowing an open door in your life, not for the enemy, which we often open doors in our life to, but an open door in our life for a move of God in our lives and a move of God in our church. And sometimes we fast with a purpose. The purpose of my fasting is that I get a new job or whatever. There are three things I want you to fast for. Meaning that when, when you're alerted to pray, these are the things that you press into God for. Number one, I want you to fast for your families. Fast for your families, especially your children. And if you say, I don't have children, then fast for the children that are in your family. Because our children are under attack by the enemy, period. It's a fact. Fast for our children. Fast for your families. Next, I want you to fast for your relationship with Christ. God, grow my relationship with you. Fast for your family, your walk with Christ. And then three, I'd like you to fast for our church. Because I'm going to ask you to make some commitments over these next couple of months. I'm going to ask you to jump in over the next couple of months to do something um, exciting, unique in the next couple of months to, to really reach people for Christ. So fast for our church as well. And ask the Lord, God, what, what do I need to remove for a season to make room for you? So I'll ask you to stand. We're going we're gonna to sing and I'll, I'll pray over us before we do. With your heads bowed, I, the Lord just put something on my heart as we're about to go into this time of prayer. Um, not really a big fan of always having like points in a sermon, but we had four points today. But the, the first point is what God was really pressing on me that some of you really, really, really need to leave with today. And that's that you are known by God. He sees, hears, knows, and wants to walk alongside of you. You are known by God. And I want to speak out against any lie that's been spoken, that you were unplanned, that you were an accident, that you aren't wanted, that you aren't needed, that you are just someone who gets in the way. Those things are lies. God made you because God wanted you. God loves you so much. And if there are people in your life that have not shown you love, I'm sorry. I am sorry. Experience the love of God. And it's my prayer that you would know and experience the love of God and that God would put people in your life that could show you godly love. Whether that be a, a mentor, a spiritual mother or father, spiritual grandma or grandpa, like experience love. The church should be a place of love. The church should be a place where we encourage and build up one another and, and support one another and know that no life is an accident. You're loved, you're cared for. So God, I thank you for this time today. Thank you for this, um, 
just as Samson's life, God, was, was a mess, you use my life that's a mess for you. Use each messy life here for your glory. God, help us to not just fulfill the mission and purpose you have for us, but help us to live in the manner of life that we've been called to live so that we can experience all you have for us in our life. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer, um, begin to come up to the altar this morning. We'd love to pray for you as we sing.